Well, good morning, Bethel Church. I don't, I don't know if you saw, if you didn't come all the way forward, you didn't, you didn't get a chance to see it, but I'm going to go draw some attention to it. Some kind person, maybe Cupid, delivered uh, uh, marshmallows on a stick in the front row as incentive to move forward. And uh, so this one's mine. So I'm as far forward as it gets. Here, I'll set that over here. Uh, I want to welcome you this morning, and uh, I, I want to make a quick announcement. Uh, we've been talking about our a Time to Build um, fundraising campaign so that we can expand our facility. This is one of those mornings where you can certainly uh, see the need for it. Uh, some, some mornings are stronger than others, but this is definitely one of those. And uh, I want to just bring your attention to a couple of things. First of all, there's a display out in the lobby uh, that kind of talks about our plans for the expansion. It talks about how you can be a part of it. Uh, there's some brochures that are out there as well uh, that will talk you through some of those things. Um, and I also want to draw your attention to your bulletin. If you look inside the bulletin there, um, on the bottom left-hand corner, uh, we will keep you apprised of our, uh, the giving to date for that particular program. So you see our regular tithes and offerings there, and at the bottom you see donations to date for a time to build. And so at this point, we have in hand $776,000. Praise God for that. Isn't that amazing? Uh, We've got a ways to go. Uh, And I want to talk to you about that a little bit, Uh, just a couple of things. Uh, When we, when my family first got here, um, to be honest with you, this facility didn't look all that different. And that was about 14 years ago. And uh, we came in, we've grown more than, you know, 50% since that particular time. Uh, Since then, we've made some changes to the building. If you remember, those of you who were here, how many were here about 10 years ago or more? Can I see your hands? So those of you who were here that long ago, you remember when the nursery was right there in the foyer. And there was the narrow hallway, also known as the cattle chute, right, to uh, just ram people out of here quickly. And it basically said, get out of the church as quickly as possible. And and we were able to kind of move that facility and put, it, and put it on the outside and create more of a corridor. We put in a coat room to, to increase some room there. We moved the office. Upstairs, we've done some minor changes. Uh, we added two uh, offices and a single uh, adult Sunday school room. And really, uh, since we came in the last 14 years, those are the major improvements that the church has made to this facility, even though this church has grown at least 50% since that time. What we have not done to this point is we have not increased the capacity of this church, and yet God continues to increase the capacity of those that are coming here. And we praise God for that, and I think there's a real heart challenge for us in this, and that's what I want to speak to you about this morning, and it's your heart. Uh, The kind of giving required for this particular program, you all know, is a sobering amount. Five million dollars is what we're after. And I want to tell you this, that we are not after an equal contribution from each person, but what we are after is an equal sacrifice, because it will take the sacrifice of every person here uh, to do that. And I believe that our God is one who magnifies fish and loaves, right? This is what we find him to be in the scripture. I believe if we give faithfully, generously, and sacrificially, that God will multiply that and he will give us what we need to expand our facility. Uh, And so I want to challenge you about those things. Number one, your heart for sacrifice. And then secondly, your heart to see the kingdom of God expand. And that is why we are doing this. Our vision is not a building. 
Our vision is the church of God, that God is building up. It is people being brought into his kingdom, being discipled and equipped to serve the Lord. That's what we're after. And to that end, we want to enlarge our, ability, our, our building to make that possible. God continues to bring us more and more people, and we praise God for that, and we do not want to shut the doors and say, sorry, Lord, we're full. We want to say, keep them coming, and we'll keep equipping them. So that's what we're after. Uh, lots of questions uh, come up. You know, we've, we did a lot to kind of uh, lead into why we're doing this and how decisions were made and some of these kinds of things. But um, as, as, as you know, vision leaks. And you have, to keep, you have to keep telling people what the vision is and reminding them of these things. And so I want to show you this. This is, uh, if you go to our church website, a lot of information is there, actually. Uh, maybe it's been a while since you visited the website. But I'm going to... I'm gonna t- Get your squinters on right now because you're going to have to look hard to see what's on this. But this is, uh, if you go to our church website, you will find the following. You will find, there's the home page. And over to the right-hand side, you will find a tab that says, A Time to Build. It's on the far right. And uh, it's going to go in just a second here, I think. Maybe not. Oh, I've got to click it. Nope. Uh, it's not going to work for us. Well... Oh, it's just not doing it on the back. Oh, there we go. And here's the, the slide. You can scroll down. There's all kinds of documents there about our, our vision and why we're doing this, uh, the fundraising. There's pictures and, and plans on there. There's a sermon series that we did uh, over a year ago on um, a culture of generosity. So there's, and there's, then there's instructions on how you can uh, be a part of it. So I want you to know that all that information is there as you're looking for questions uh, or looking for answers to your questions. That's a place Uh, that you can go. And so I hope that you'll visit the booth uh, on your way out today, pick up one of these. Uh, We need more people to make commitments uh, to contribute to this expansion. And if you have questions, you can go on the website uh, and do that as well. So let me uh, pray for us now, and then we'll dive into our text this morning. So let's pray. Father, I'm thankful that uh, you are one who builds your church. And by that, I don't mean brick and mortar and walls. But you draw people to yourself. Lord, you reveal yourself to them. You you reveal uh, to them a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus Christ. You bring us into your family. You forgive us for our sins. You clothe us in the righteousness of Jesus. And you empower us by your Holy Spirit with gifts to serve you and your kingdom. And we're amazed and grateful at those things. God, I want to pray uh, this morning uh, for our nation. Uh, I know we've all seen in the news recently here that Justice Scalia passed away. Uh, Lord, we pray for the process of appointment to the court. We pray, God, that you would raise up um, a judge who would be righteous, who would be good. God, I pray that if by your will it would be a man or woman who knows you, uh, who would have an understanding of truth and goodness because they know you. Uh, So Lord, we commit that process to you. We pray uh, for our leaders and we pray for decisions uh, being made. Uh, Lord, we pray for this time right now. As we come to your word, we ask God that you would teach us through your word, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truths of your own word to us. God, I pray that I would not be in the way or an obstacle at all. Lord, help us to put away distractions and to bring our whole hearts and our full attention to you so that we might become more like your son, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. 
If you'd open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12, we'll keep pressing on here through uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, Messy Christianity. I have on your notes a quote at the top by G.K. Chesterton, provocative guy. He says this, One of the most difficult things to accept in the Christian faith is the incredible value and dignity that is given to the human soul. Uh, And one of the ways that we see uh, God's honoring and dignifying of the human soul is that God does not just allow us to be recipients of salvation through his redemptive plan. Not just recipients, but he calls us, he invites us in to be participants with him in his redemptive program. And that is amazing to me. It's not just something he bestows on us, but it's a process that he calls us into. He calls us to serve alongside him in his redemptive work, his restoration project with planet Earth and with the people that he made. And he actually deputizes us with authority for the task and his empowering presence. We're told that in Matthew 28 in the Great Commission. And he also equips us. He equips us to be his ambassadors, people carrying out the mission of God with the spiritual gifts that God has empowered us with. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. One of the ways that we experience the dignity and the honoring of God given to us is through the distribution of spiritual gifts to his people. And so the broad point that I want you to hear this morning, what I'm going to be trying to get across is this, is that spiritual gifts mark us as God's people and they equip us for God's mission. Spiritual gifts mark us as God's people. They seal us. The Holy Spirit is a seal for us and the gifts are an indication that the Spirit is within us and they equip us to carry out the mission of God. If you look at chapter 12, uh, verse 1 begins with the words, and now about spiritual gifts. This is, makes it clear to us that Paul is answering a question that was brought to him by the Corinthians. Uh, and as in the other cases where we've seen this same kind of construction, the Corinthians' specific question isn't given to us. It's not provided for us. And so we're kind of left to speculate what they might have asked to solicit this kind of a response from the Apostle Paul. And I think it would have been something like, and which spiritual gift is the most important? Now again, I'm speculating, so I I hold that open-handed, but it seems to me to be a question of that nature. And um, uh, it's almost, it kind of reminds me of, if you think of the disciples, remember when they were arguing, we see it in two different occasions in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 9 and Luke 22. And they're arguing amongst themselves about who will be the greatest in the kingdom. Remember this? Like children, you know, just arguing and bickering amongst themselves. And I think this is the same kind of discussion that was happening in the Corinthian church. And I think it's the same kind of thing here that Paul is actually correcting. Once again, Paul seems to be dealing with the self-centeredness and the spiritual posturing of the Corinthian believers. Uh, They certainly lived in a social climbing culture, as we know, as we we have looked at uh, the nature of the city of Corinth. That was the way things were, and that same kind of culture had crept into the church. And that seems to be really the prevailing issue, the prevailing theme throughout these uh, couple of chapters here. This social climbing, this spiritual puffing up, this self-centeredness and swagger among the 
the Corinthians. We saw it in the first part of chapter 11 where some, especially the women, were throwing off some of the conventional and culturally acceptable signs of respect and submission to authority. In the name of freedom, they were coming and throwing off these things. And Paul regulated that and said, hey, wait a minute here. Don't come in a duplicitous fashion. Don't come in a spirit of prayer and prophecy and yet throw off the rightful respect and honoring that you ought to be displaying. We also saw it in the second half of chapter 11, where some were coming to the Lord's Supper feasting, right? Getting to the front of the line, eating tons, and yet leaving others hungry. There was a self-centeredness there. And now we see it, the same kind of attitude over the battle of whose gift is best. Same kind of spirit that's on display here. I think verse 19 in chapter 11 is a really telling, a very descriptive and revealing verse uh, for this whole section, in fact, where he says this, the Apostle Paul says, no doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Like children fighting for the front seat in the car, right? The Corinthians are posturing looking for some distinction among themselves so that they might feed their pride and feed their swagger and have a sense of superiority among the church community. And so Paul once again corrects and he regulates this behavior. And in this particular case, Paul helps them to understand the nature and the purpose of the spiritual gifts that God has distributed to his people. Now, any really good uh, look at spiritual gifts is going to look at the four primary passages. I've listed those for you in your handout. I can't go through each one this morning or it would turn into this afternoon. So uh, I'm going to trust you to do that yourself. Um, but I would encourage you to look there. And before we get into the text, I want to define spiritual gifts because I'm not, I don't want to assume that everybody here knows what I'm talking about. Uh, I take this definition from Wayne Grudem. It may not be the very, very best, but it's good. I think it's good enough for this morning. And Wayne Grudem would define spiritual gifts as this. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in the ministry of the church. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and that is used in the ministry uh, of the church. So let's look together at chapter 12, verse 1. And now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. And so the first thing that we take out of this is this principle here that those working by the Spirit of God will affirm the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Uh, We might ask the question, how does this opening kind of relate to their previous experience with these other religions? How was it that they were sort of led astray? It seems to me that Paul is reminding the Corinthians here of their not-too-distant past uh, prior to conversion, how they were led astray before. Again, we remember that they lived in a world that was rife with spiritual voices, right? And they had not known how to properly discern the voice or the spirit of God. Uh, And so it seems to me that at this particular moment, while they're puffed up with spiritual pride and swagger and arguing about which gift is best, it seems to me that Paul is kind of cutting them down to size a little bit. Right? They're acting like an older sister, all bossy and you know, full of swagger. 
And he seems to give him, them here a bit of a humbling reminder. Their heads have swelled, but he's going to deflate their ego. But he also gives them something really nice here too. And he provides them what they had lacked before. Uh, he provides them really a twofold test to identify the presence and the influence of God the Holy Spirit in a person's life. Number one, they will not curse the name of Jesus. And number two, they will declare that he is Lord. Now on one hand, those might sound like relatively simple kind of, you know, duh types of tests. Uh, But these are critically important. And as we're going to see, they're helpful for us today. I think this is really practical stuff because we too live in a world that is bursting with, I'll call them spiritual voices. Okay? Uh, We have to make assessments all the time about people, about their claims, about their teachings, and about the source of what they claim to be true. Uh, And so I want to take just a moment here, and I want to uh, identify some what I think are kind of common type of spiritual voices in our culture, and just unpack this a little bit here. So here's the first one. Do you guys recognize this person? Yeah? This is Chris Martin. Not our former Sunday school director. Uh, This is Chris Martin, the lead singer uh, for the group Coldplay, who incidentally, or not so incidentally, just uh, uh, performed at the Super Bowl halftime show um, last week. Uh, Interesting fellow. This particular guy was raised Episcopalian. Uh, And if you know any of Coldplay's songs or you're you're familiar with some of the lyrics, there's a lot of spiritual... Uh, phrases and ideas and lyrics in there and sometimes it gets you wondering is this a believer is this you know what what am I hearing here and it might cause you to think about that well here here was a question that was asked uh, to Chris and his response he was asked if he had rediscovered God and his reply was have I rediscovered God um no I'm always trying to work out what he or she or it is I'm not sure who's right. I don't know. I don't know if it's Allah or Jesus or Muhammad or Zeus. I'd maybe go for Zeus. Elsewhere, Chris Martin has identified himself as an all-theist. All things are God. Interesting. Uh, You know, don't press him too hard with questions on that. He won't have answers, I promise you. Um, So here's one figure, okay? Let's look at another one. I'm I'm going to hit home here, okay? Uh, do you guys know this fella? Glenn Beck. Okay. Popular conservative radio and television host. In 2010, uh, Glenn Beck called for national renewal. A national spiritual renewal. Sounds good, right? Sounds good. We certainly need that. Uh, many evangelicals were sympathetic to that call, including among them Dobson. Uh, many others. Here's the thing, though. Uh, Glenn Beck is an avowed Mormon. And Mormons deny the Trinitarian nature of God. They do not affirm that there is one God, three in one. They affirm that there are three distinct gods. And so you have to ask yourself, if he's calling for spiritual renewal, you know, what, what, are, what are we being renewed to, to here? Um, I also, I want to recognize too, I don't want to commit the genetic fallacy, which is that you, anything that comes out of one person's mouth is by virtue of coming out of their mouth worthless. I'm not saying that. I think this, this guy has some very interesting things to say. But when he's making a spiritual claim, 
I think we need to test that. Let me take you to one more here. We're really going to hit home now. There she is. Oprah. And I know you guys are thinking, oh, come on, don't pick on Oprah. She gives cars to teachers, right? You know? How can you not like Oprah? How many teachers do we have in the house? I know you guys like her. <laughs> um, Oprah was raised a Baptist. And, um, but she, and this is an understatement, overtly affirms the New Age religion. And then some. Uh, uh, she goes on to tout that there are many ways to God. Uh, that God is, this is a quote, that God is a feeling experience and not a believing one. And if your faith is a believing one, then you're not worshiping the true God. So what am I getting at here? Uh, what I want you to think, what I want you to understand is this. We have a lot of public figures who claim the mantle of speaking with a spiritual voice, okay? But they do not affirm the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I think in those cases, we need to ask ourselves if this is a spiritual voice that they claim to speak with, then what spirit is it? It's not the spirit of God. And I would go a step further to say there are no neutral spirits. It's fine if they have advice to give, if counsel, thoughts, it's worth hearing. But if they're claiming to speak with the spiritual voice and they don't affirm the lordship of Jesus Christ, then you had better question the spirit with which they're speaking. We might be sympathetic to their artistry, uh, or to their political views, or their generous nature. But we need to be discerning about their so-called spiritual voice. Anything that does not affirm Jesus as Lord needs to be thrown out. Uh, the Bible tells us overtly, not only here in, in Paul's, the beginning part of this passage, but also in, uh, in 1 John 4.1, 4, uh, the Bible tells us to test the spirits. 1 John 4, 1 says this, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone in, out into the world. And this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Okay, here we go, a test. This is how we can recognize it. So pay attention. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge, that Jesus, does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Well, it sounds remarkably similar, doesn't it? it sounds remarkably similar. So I want you to notice this, that the test given here, both the test given by the Apostle John here in his epistle and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, that both of them call for us to recognize the spirit of God by the fact that it will point to Jesus Christ. They will throw attention and honor and glory on the person of Jesus Christ. That's how we recognize uh, what's, if, this, if a spirit is from God or not. And I think maybe even more importantly, as, as much as we need to test the spirits of the world, I think we really especially need to test the spirits within the church. I see a really deceptive and dangerous uh, pattern within the church today, especially among sort of charismatic types of churches, and that is this, there is a fascination, a super fascination with the Holy Spirit himself above the other members of the Trinity. And when I see that, I get deeply concerned. 
I would tell you this, be wary of those who pay more attention to the phenomenon of the Holy Spirit or the person of the Holy Spirit such that that work begins to eclipse that of the other members of the triune God because the nature and the role of the Holy Spirit is to throw attention to Jesus Christ. That's the Spirit's job description if you want to say it that way. We, look, we find this especially in the words of Jesus uh, in his farewell discourse as he talks about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He helps us to look at it and think about what it might look like. Uh, in in uh, John 15, 26, he says, When the Advocate comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when the Advocate comes, I will send to you from the Father the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father and he will testify about me. And then again in chapter 16, it says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth and he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. What I want you to hear loud and clear from this, I know this might feel a little bit like a detour to you, but is this, that the purpose and the mission of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to himself, but to throw all attention on the person and the teaching and the saving work of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Sinclair Ferguson, and I've listed a, there's a a link at the bottom of your notes that you can go and uh, listen to a real short video vignette that he uh, uh, put out a while back. He refers to the Holy Spirit, I love this, as the self-effacing member of the Trinity. The self-effacing member of the Trinity. Uh, He shows in this particular article really the humble and almost behind-the-scenes work of the Holy Spirit and how the Spirit draws attention to Christ, which, as you can see here, is really in contrast to the braggadocious and puffing-up, self-centered concerns of the Corinthians, right? Notice this, too, in our own culture. It's interesting to me that it's perfectly acceptable in our culture to be spiritual, right? You know, if it's good enough for Oprah, Glenn Beck, Coldplay, whatever, general spiritualism, that's fine. That's sort of well-regarded in our culture. But it's not acceptable to declare that Jesus is Lord. And you say that, you have made a stand that is offensive to most. And so friends, the tests... We are to test and evaluate spiritual claims and spiritual work. We're to ask these questions. Does it draw attention to Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus or something or someone else? Does it remind us of the things that Jesus already taught? Does it affirm the lordship of Jesus? Evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit is that much would be made of Jesus Christ. As we move into really the second section here, we're going to see that really that the Holy Spirit works in different ways through different people. We're going to see a wonderful combination of both diversity and unity and that those two are not in opposition to one another, but in fact that unity can be enhanced by appreciating the variety of gifts that God has given through his Holy Spirit to his people. Look at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, 
But in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So the second point that we're going to see here is this, and this is a little bit of a, a lengthy sentence. It's a little technical, but the same triune God empowers his people differently. Uh, this is the verses four through six here, I think, are incredibly rich and quite encouraging uh, if we understand what's happening here and what the Apostle Paul is doing. First of all, we get a really important glimpse of the nature of the triune God, each person working collaboratively with the other. In fact, there are very few passages in really all of the scripture where we find each member of the Trinity at work within a single passage. I don't know if you've ever done a search on the Trinity or sort of tried to enhance your understanding, but it's hard to find a single passage that have a reference to each member of the triune God. Uh, Very often we'll see two, but uh, not always three. But this is one of those where we see all three members of the triune God working together. Spirit is a clear reference to the Holy Spirit. Lord here is a reference that is frequently attributed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And God here is the most commonly as it's used in the New Testament refers to God the Father, Theos. And so we see this clear construction of a Trinitarian reference here. And around this construction, Paul builds his argument. He builds what he is trying to say to the Corinthian believers here as he's trying to show them the importance of unity and diversity. He builds his argument on the nature of the triune God, which is in itself a picture of unity and diversity. It's a powerful argument that he is making here and a really brilliant construction as he puts it together. He wants to show the Corinthians the foolishness of their pride and their self-centeredness and clamoring for this self-promoting gift. And so he contrasts it against the humble and mutually serving nature of the triune Godhead. It's fascinating. It's as though he's telling them, you're claiming a right and a privilege which God himself does not. Each member of the triune Godhead does not puff themselves up, but is, as Sinclair Ferguson said, if I can use this term, self-effacing, showing honor and deference to the other. There is humility even within the Trinity. And we see that unity and that diversity within the Godhead, and we see it also in the people of God. What we find is that the spiritual gifts here have a common source. In other words, I want you to think about this This might take a second for it to kind of sink in. But understand, the same Holy Spirit that indwells you indwells me. It's not a different Holy Spirit. We're going to hurt our minds here a little bit for sure. But the same Holy Spirit that indwells you indwells me. And the same Holy Spirit that empowers you with a unique spiritual gift empowers me. With spiritual gifts. They may be manifest in different ways and different gifts, but they come from a common source. And I think it's really important to understand that, uh, that, the, that the source of these gifts is from the triune God. In other words, it doesn't come from us. There's no place for us to be prideful and to have this self-centeredness and this kind of swagger. In fact, Paul had already kind of provoked them with this same kind of thinking earlier in the book in chapter 4 when he asked them the question, 
For who makes you different from anyone else? Or what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? If we have a spiritual gift that God has entrusted to us, that he is using and working mightily through us, there's no room for boasting. Because at the very best we can say, God has taken this particularly frumpy lump of clay and done something that I could not do myself. The source is from the Lord. That's where spiritual gifts come from. Uh, Secondly, we see that spiritual gifts have a common purpose. They're for the building up of the body. Now, I want you to to consider a couple of questions here. First of all, why did God give us spiritual gifts? I mean, certainly God is capable of doing all this work on his own, right? He doesn't need us. In case you thought he did, he doesn't need us. Um, Why did God give us spiritual gifts? Uh, Secondly, why did God give each person a spiritual gift? I mean, he could have just had a select few, right? And then thirdly, why didn't God give each of us all of the gifts? Wouldn't that be nice? Maybe. That's worth thinking about. But when we answer these three questions, I think we come to the conclusion very clearly that what God desires in his people is a sense of interdependence. He means for us to collaborate with him and his redemptive plan. But he means for us to depend upon one another. He distributes the gifts among the people of God and by doing so, first of all, I think it fosters a sense of humility In each of us. Because each of us can say that I need you. And I need the gifts that God has entrusted to you. And each of us can also say with dignity and worth and belonging, remarkably, and the body needs me. They need me. God has entrusted, and I use that word very purposefully, God has entrusted to each of us Something that the body needs. The body needs you in the exercise of your spiritual gift that God has entrusted to you. And so these gifts are given for the building up from the body, not for self-promotion. And each of us should remember this, that these are gifts. And it's, it's almost uh, hard to continue to refer to them in that way because it sounds too much like I'm God's gift to his people. <laughs> you know what I mean? I love the way the Ethiopians refer to them. They say, my grace. This is my grace. Whatever I have, whatever's been entrusted to me and empowered in me through the Holy Spirit is purely an act of grace on God's part because I don't deserve it. I don't deserve to be entrusted with it. It is my grace. Thirdly here, we see that spiritual gifts have a different expression. I'm not going to go... Uh, too long on this particular point. I think that's self-evident. But um, even the same gifts, one person and another, will show up differently. Because there's no dittos among souls. We're different people with different life experiences and different passions. And so even the same gifts will manifest differently. Let's keep going. Verse 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge. By means of the same Spirit, uh, to another, faith. 
by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between the spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Uh, So firstly, we need to understand this, that we are gifted differently, and here's the emphasis, as God, the Holy Spirit, desires. I think there's really two temptations, two strong temptations for us. I want to caution you against these. The first is this, that it is so easy for us to judge others according to the gifts that we ourselves have. Have you experienced this? Um, my own, I'll give you an example. My own, one of my own gifts is teaching. Okay, I'm here by God's grace, able to teach this morning, and it's an incredible privilege to do that. But it can be really easy for me to be judgmental of somebody else and say, why don't you understand what's in the text? Just read it. <laughs> read the contest. Ask the questions. Pray. Let, let the Lord bring it to your mind. When I look at a text, I, and I'm not bragging, I'm just saying, by God's grace, this is what happens in my mind. I I see the themes, I see the central point, I see the context, I can think about your lives, I love you guys, I know what's happening in your lives, I'm able to read it with your eyes and sort of put some application together that we run into, and it, and it happens with, I mean, I don't mean to say that I don't labor at it, but it happens by God's grace through the power of the Holy Spirit. So that comes very naturally to me, and I can look at somebody else and go, come on, what's wrong with you, you know? And you can do the same to me. Especially those of you, you know, who have the gift of compassion, that's not my gift. I can think my way to feel compassionate towards somebody, but that's what it looks like, you know. If there's a moment that calls for tears, you know, I've got to pull a nose hair or something to <laughs> eke some emotion. And Some of you, you show up on the scene and someone's hurting and you're right there with them. Your emotions are there and you might look at me and go, come on, Pastor Eric, you know. What's your deal? It's just really easy for us to judge other people according to the gifts that we ourselves have because those things come so naturally to us. Being entrusted with spiritual gifts, I think, requires an awful lot of grace and patience and remembrance that this is of God and this is not of us. Secondly, I think another temptation here is it's really, really easy to envy the spiritual gifts of others. One of the ones that's easy for me is when I see people who are gifted musically. Josh will pick on you. Josh can you know, come in here and pick up a guitar or sit over at the piano, probably pick up nearly every instrument on the stage. And what comes out of him is beautiful music, and you lead and facilitate us in worship. I can look at something like that and go, that stinks, man. You know? like, a person should only be good at like one thing, you know? not nine of them. Um, and, and I... Do you guys relate to this? How easy it is to be envious of the gifts of others and go, I wish I had that one. That person leads someone to Christ every week. It's been a couple years for me, you know. Uh, It's hard. I also want to encourage you to strive to work within the areas of your gifting. Trust God to work through the gifting of others where you're not gifted. A really wise woman, Ann Williams' mom. I, I, I don't know Ann Williams' mom's name, 
but uh, Anne's not, I haven't seen her this morning. She'd probably come to second service. But Anne Williams' mom had a great quote that I heard years ago and has stayed with me, and she says this, not every opportunity is a calling. Is that good? Not every opportunity is a calling. But God has gifted you to some things that he has called you to. And I think to the best of our effort, we need to work within the areas of our gifting and trust that when there are other opportunities, that God will supply one gifted for those areas. We want to work in the areas of our gifting as best we're able. Um, and so we always need to, I think, be reminding ourselves of what, what my spiritual gifts are. Uh, a couple things real quick. Gifts are authenticating marks. They show that one belongs to the family of God because the Holy Spirit is evident in them, especially in their characters. We see the fruit of the Spirit, but also in an exercise of gifting for the sake of the edification of the body of Christ. And they're also given for the common good, right? They're not given just for personal amusement or self-promotion, but to be used in service to the body, to encourage, to strengthen, to build up so that we will be complete together and so that nobody would be complete in and of themselves. That's why they're given. And so we are meant to know our spiritual gifts. And we are meant to use our gifts for the good and the glory of God. And I want to tell you, you can take spiritual gift tests and all these kinds, of, and some of them are valuable, but I, here's the best way to find out. You want to know the very best way. Go to your small group, okay? Or a group of people that you're really close to that know you and ask them, this is not self-promotion seeking, but ask them, what are the ways in which I bless you? What are the ways that I build you up as a Christian? And listen to them. Because gifts were given not for ourselves, but for the body. And so the body will be the best ones to tell us the ways in which we encourage and bless and build them up. And so when they tell you, man, your gift is compassion. Because when I'm hurting, you're right there with me. I know when I'm hurting, I want to find so-and-so. Because you'll meet me there in my pain. That is one of the best ways you can find out your spiritual gifts. Uh, as, I, as I told you earlier, mine is teach. I think my, the three that I see are teaching, leading, and shepherding. Those, those are the things that I believe God has put in my life or, or empowered me, and those are the things that people affirm back to me. I'll tell you this too. Here's three of my non-gifts. Want to hear these? I could have a lot of fun with these. Administration, <laughs> compassion, service, and ironically, evangelism. I'm a minister of the gospel. That's frustrating to me. That God does not seem to use me often in evangelism. Administration is particularly frustrating, not only for me, but especially for the gals in the office. You should hear me whining, you know, when it's time to turn in my my receipts and reimbursements. Um, It's sad. It's just sad. Um, Those are my non-gifts. Now, I want you to understand this. There are some things that I have to do because I'm a Christian, right? I don't get to say I'm not gifted with evangelism, so I won't. I'm called to evangelize, right? I can say, I'm not naturally compassionate. The Holy Spirit hasn't empowered me to do this with excellence. But I am to be compassionate, right? I mean, sometimes I'm working against the grain here, a lot of the times. But that is what sometimes I'm supposed to do for the sake of obedience. But there are some areas in which God has especially equipped us. And I think to the best of our abilities, we want to focus on on those areas. Lastly here, and I need to wrap this up. Gifts are given as God the Holy Spirit desires. As God the Holy Spirit desires. Um, we're going to talk uh, next week some more about the miraculous gifts. I know many of you probably have questions about that. Uh, I'll give you a hint at the outset. Uh, if, you're, if you're interested in the debate, Eric, are you a cessationist or not? 
I'm going to tell you, I'm not. I might be a practical cessationist, but I don't think the scripture allows me to be a complete cessationist. And we'll talk about that more next week. But here's the thing. God is supreme over the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are determined by none other than the Holy Spirit himself. We cannot choose to impart a gift to somebody. I'll tell you one quick story and ending here. A friend of mine, once upon a time, strongly desired to have uh, the gift of speaking in tongues. And he was around a particularly charismatic group of people who said, oh, we can do that for you. We'll impart that to you. So just gather up. So they came around him and laid hands on him and they prayed fervently for him and they said, now, after we're finished with prayer, I want you just to open your eyes and say the first thing that comes to your mind. And so my friend here is praying ardently, opens his eyes and says, floor. (laughs) Now, I'm, I'm not trying to diss the Uh, speaking in tongues, I'm going to tell you, I've prayed for this gift myself, especially when I was going over to Ethiopia. I said, Lord, if it would be your will, I would love to have the ability to speak Amharic to these people for the sake of the gospel. And all I can remember is Shintabate no, which is where's the bathroom. So I didn't get that (laughs) gift. I didn't get that gift. God determines. God determines. He distributes as he desires. Spiritual gifts are marks. It marks us as God's people. And they equip us for God's mission. Let's pray. Lord, you do give us incredible dignity and worth. You have rescued us, but you have also equipped us. You have marked us as yours, your people, whom you have brought into your family and made your very own. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve that act of grace. And then you poured grace upon grace. Bestowing us with spiritual gifts to be used for your mission. Amazing. We've been deputized and empowered to carry out your work in this world. Lord, keep us humble. May none of us have any swagger or pretension. If we have gifts, it's because you've put them there. May we use them for your glory. In the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.